you're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Welcome to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Today, I'm talking to Andrew Chow, the co-founder of Skip the Dishes, one of the top food delivery apps in Canada and internationally, which I'm sure we have all used. And now he has started Neo Financial, a company that is looking to innovate the banking industry and provide a simple experience for users to manage their finances. Andrew, thank you for joining me today. So thanks for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. So where I always like to start is a little bit about your personal background. So where were you born uh, and raised? Talk a little bit about your family. Sure. Yeah. So my background, I am uh, born and raised in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. My parents are originally from Vietnam. Uh, They came here back in 1979. They they came here quite early, but I was born and raised in Saskatoon. Sort of, uh, that was all I knew for quite some time. Uh, I went to school there. I went to University of Saskatchewan, uh, studied uh, in finance, got a business degree. After graduating, it was around 2008, 2009. So sort of the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So Graduating with a degree in finance wasn't like the best. What was the goal? What did you think that you would be doing? I think like most university students, you don't really know what the heck you want to do when you grow up. And you sort of think you're going to know when you like when you're a kid, you sort of know what you I feel like when you're a kid the most. And then when you hit high school, you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you're like, I'll just choose something to go into university. And when you're in university, you're like, you still don't really know because there's too much choice or there's maybe too little choice. So I ended up going into an industry of consulting because that was the most general space I could go into. Got to learn a lot about different industries. I worked, I actually ended up moving to Toronto, lived and worked there for about five years, consulting for Fortune 500 companies, did a range of different projects here and there. I think my very first project that I worked on was to look at simplifying hot dogs. Oh. Yep. So learned a lot about hot dogs and manufacturing uh, meats and and, uh, consumer packaged goods. So I guess the million-dollar question is, do you eat hot dogs (laughs) to this day? (laughs) I think about my five years of time at uh, working consulting. The one thing that I continue to look back on and, and what I learned about was that hot dogs and bologna are mm. exactly the same ingredients. Okay. Just in a different shape. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So do you eat hot dogs after knowing everything about them? I still do. Yes, I still do. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. I also know what goes into hot dogs and therefore I refuse to eat them. But hey, if it didn't scare you away, it's not a bad thing. No, right? But it's interesting, I think, that, that you've been able to touch a variety of industries to know not only what you like, but what you didn't like, but also the process of learning. And when you yourself then were deciding in those formidable years, which side you wanted to go into. And I think consulting is really great for that in order to have a little bit of time with a lot of different industries and people and places also in your case, which is, which is, I guess the time for experimentation a little bit. Exactly. So I, I learned a lot and I sort of knew in the back of my mind that I always wanted to do something more entrepreneurial as well. And I grew up and, and I think sort of back back to my Saskatoon days, uh, my parents had owned a restaurant. So I grew up in a restaurant. I sort of saw, you know, 
the the hard work that went into it, but also the the fact of just running your own business. And that's something mm-hmm. that I I really wanted to do. But you know, after graduating, I didn't really know what to do or or what to jump into. So again, went into a, a path of just learn as much as I possibly can, learn meet a lot of new people who have similar ambitions of of uh, consulting. And after doing that for about five years, ended up into connecting with some former classmates of mine um, who had also moved away uh, from the prairies. And they were essentially looking at starting um, something from scratch. And uh, we had seen living in the bigger cities, we had seen all these large tech companies coming into San Francisco, London, New York, but they're all really skipping over Canada as a market, especially Western Canada. So we said, well, why not take one of these ideas? which at the time happened to be food delivery, and let's put it back home. So quit our jobs, moved back to uh, Saskatchewan or out west to start the first version of Skip the Dishes uh, back in 2011, 2012. So when the idea of Skip the Dishes, you guys kind of came up with it. So tell me, why did you think that there was a gap in the marketplace or that you could do something that hadn't been done before and figure it out in Western Canada first. And then of course you expanded afterwards, but those beginning days, talk to me about where the thought process was that you guys could figure this out. Yeah. And I think it was, I think the biggest thing for us was we were young and fortunately sort of had the right sort of team in place. So the, my, my former classmate, my, my friend, he, his two brothers were software engineers, and what we had seen work well in the large metro cities like New York and, and London and just hadn't really been done in, in Canada. So the good thing is we were consumers of our own product. So we sort of knew what we would have wanted as consumers, and we built for that in the first place. And from there, and, and that's sort of why we started in Saskatoon and the smaller markets versus starting in downtown Toronto, where everyone else really starts. And we just focused on the, the areas that we knew. We were able to, we built our headquarters in Saskatchewan and, and Manitoba at the time. I think it's one of those things where we believed we could do it and we could win. In, and I remember our first business cards said, Western Canada's largest food delivery network. We were actually the first, we were the only ones. <laughs> right. So, hey, it's factual. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I do think that a lot of people, especially young people, when they're starting something, or even if you're, in, you're innovating a completely new idea, everybody wants to gravitate to the big cities, to the markets, because they're sold this idea that it's sexy and there's so many customers, but they forget that there's just as many customers, there's a lot more competition also. And it's more expensive for everything from labor to real estate to like the basics in, in bigger cities. And I've always found, even for myself, that we start in the smaller markets because you can actually get a lot more data. You can get a lot more traction uh, quicker, but it's uh, very, it's more economical and you get lower overhead costs by starting in those small, smaller markets. And also it's easier to fix your mistakes in order to replicate it to the bigger market. So I think that was really smart of you guys to say, uh, this might not be sexy or attractive to start in Saskatoon or to have our head office there. But you know what? We can make this work. And you guys obviously did. And so tell me about what did you guys really see 
as the biggest challenge when you were starting? Was it the software piece? Was it finding customers and explaining to them maybe what it was because it was so new? What were the, the biggest challenges? The biggest challenges I think are probably very common to many other entrepreneurs out there and that are just trying to figure things out. I think when when you're in in the startup world or or building a business from scratch, you're you're really learning things for the first time. You're learning how to do accounting, you're learning how to hire, you're learning how to fire, you're learning all these different pieces. I guess the, the hardest thing really is create a product that people truly value and they want to buy. And I wouldn't necessarily say, I mean, everything about building a business is a challenge. So I don't know if there's one specific thing about it because there's always a million, there's, it, it's like whack-a-mole, right? Every time you hit, you solve one problem, another one pops up somewhere else. And I think the ability as an entrepreneur is really just to like jump on those things or at least try to anticipate where those are going to happen. For us, at the very, very beginning, it was really just trying to get our first restaurants signed up, convincing, you know, walking into restaurants trying to sign them up for a platform that they really didn't understand. That was our initial challenge. But once we got the first 20 restaurants, we said, okay, well, how do we get customers to use this online platform, input their credit card information, which you know, back in, in, back in 2012, not as common as it is today. And we make sure that it, it all makes sense. So it was really an evolution from where we started to you know, even just one city in Saskatoon we quickly expanded to Regina, which is you know the next logical city to go to, and and then how you replicate what we did in Saskatoon to Regina. So you sort of run into all these different sort of scaling pieces, hiring. Eventually, you know we couldn't do it with just ourselves, so we had to bring on more people. Sometimes it didn't work out. So there was yeah a lot of learnings along the way for sure. And so, what did you find through that process? Were your strengths? Uh, so I think the one of the interesting things uh, about our team or founding team, we all sort of had our own individual strengths. So myself, I am not a, an engineer or a code, like a software engineer. I don't know how to code, but luckily two of our other founders were on the engineering side and software. I was more on the finance side and business development side and marketing. Our other co-founder, uh, he was you know, the, you know, probably in more on the partnership side. So he was out there uh, signing up all of our restaurants and partners. So we all sort of had our individual areas that we were, uh, I'd say, more strong at. And, and fortunately, we sort of said, hey, what's best on the tech side? Let's solve that side. And I'll solve the marketing. We'll get customers that way. So it, it sort of worked quite well working as a team there. How many co-founders were you? There were five of us. Five of you. Okay. And did you find that um, a pro or a con to having so many, you know, chefs in the kitchen? I think uh, the the main thing with a founding team, you just need to be all aligned in terms of what you're building and where you want to head towards. The how part can, there's sometimes conflicts of like how we do something, but as long as we're going to the right, the end point, then it shouldn't really matter how we get there. We'll sort of choose the, the best path. I think the the main thing is really around or the main benefit of having sort of people who are bought in whether they're founders or employees I actually think of it more across the same spectrum they just need to be accountable and feel ownership and have ownership in what they're building whether you're a founder or not i think everyone at the company needs to have that that ownership because they need to like if you need to pick up the phone at 2am because a customer is calling you 
right. uh, want everyone to be able to pick up that phone. Yeah, very true. Very true. And, and, and were you guys close friends, all five of you before you jumped into business together or were some people brought in because of their skills? Yeah, I think I would say uh, we all sort of knew we, well, I, we all had a connection through a person um, on the team. So about three of them were brothers. So they okay. had family connection. And then myself and my other co-founder were, uh, I'd say the brothers from another mother within the family. Um, but we sort of knew each other through university. And then I guess next is funding. How did you guys fund this venture when you started? Yeah. And you're the finance guy, especially. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the, at the very beginning, it was really it, our first three years was really just self-funded. So we bootstrapped through our, our own savings because we all had worked um, before starting Stick the Dishes. We did not pay ourselves for the first three years. So we really just uh, bootstrapped as much as we possibly could mm-hmm. until we were able to get some product market fit, some traction, customers, uh, and so on. And then we ended up uh, bringing on some institutional investors, uh, venture capitalists, back in 2015 is sort of when we, we first got some investors in. And, uh, and then eventually we, got, we sort of brought in additional investors and that's sort of what got the ball rolling as well. I love that you guys bootstrapped it for that long to actually tinker with it and figure out this business model and this business before you took it out and you focused on the business. I do find that sometimes a lot of people are conflicted when they're trying to raise money and look for investors and also start and run a business and then prove that it's got legs and that it's solving a problem and that it is going to be a viable business. And and you're your brain is split and your time is split and your energy is split into two different ways. And it's really hard to do that for a lot of people. And so I I do love that you guys did uh, bootstrapped it for so long in order to understand the business and what you needed in order to get to the next level. The strategy of Skip the Dishes then was to grow. And obviously that you had some investment in order to do that. How do you think you were able to stand apart from all the other competitors? And of course, there were lots by then, right? From Uber Eats to Fedora, DoorDash, the disc goes on and on as to how many there were. So in such a competitive space, suddenly, how, how were you guys able to stand apart? Yeah, I remember the, it's funny because you know, it, back in 20, I think it was 2013 or 2014, we had entered into a, a business plan competition at our, mm-hmm. at our old university. And we were trying to win a prize of, I think it was like $10,000 or so. Okay. Uh, we had prepped the night before. We were doing a presentation th- that day. We ended up getting second place in this okay. business competition. I think we got like a $1,000 prize money. That same day, our you know, competitor down in the US ended up raising $20 million. So oh, we, wow. got, we got second place in a business plan competition. And mm-hmm. our competitor got $20 million in a raise. So... When you think about looking at your peers, you're like, holy crap, what do we actually, what do we do? And for us, a lot of it was really around focus and focusing on the things that we were good at. Mm. And in food delivery and, and building out a platform on a network, we, it was a three-sided marketplace. So we had customers, couriers, and restaurants. Right. And they all sort of interplay with each other. The worst thing that you can do is throw money at the problem because it doesn't actually solve the problem at hand. Mm-hmm. So what really differentiated us, and I think you mentioned a couple of different players. I think there was, we kept a, a list. I think there were about 90 players at the time oh, wow. were like mm-hmm. going at it. Today, there's three. Right. 
uh, and skip, skip additions included. And I think a big part of it was really focused and making sure that we actually solved the problem at hand versus just throwing money at it. Mm. So I think, you know, by us bootstrapping, we were able to really solve the root causes of issues. And I'll use an example of, of restaurants, for example, you know, a lot of time, if you get your food cold, it's not because the tech, it's usually not because the technology was bad, uh, or the something went wrong. It was actually just the timing of when the restaurant made the food. Right. So we focus a lot on training the restaurants of when to make the food versus trying to just throw money at a customer and say, hey, sorry, your food was cold. We'll refund the entire order, which right. is what a lot of other players did. Right. So by solving sort of that small little piece and in, in training the restaurant to say, here's when you should make the food, that solves all that downstream issues completely. So that's what we, re- we really focused on solving the problem versus using money to solve the problem. And I think that's what differentiated us at, at the end of the day. We didn't focus on branding or marketing. We, I was a team, the only person on the marketing team for the first four years. Well, you didn't really need to. The, the, the name is just brilliant. I remember you know, my five-year-old niece and you guys started, we saw a billboard here in Calgary. She was in my backseat. And I read it out loud because I do that. I read every, every sign out loud my father used to. And so, you know, a creature of habit, I do the same thing. And she, and then I asked her, I asked her, I'm like, do you know what that is? Get the dishes. I guess it's, you know, it did food comes to your door. I'm like, so brilliant. It, 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 even a five-year-old could figure it out what, what you, what the business was. And, and I really did always think that compared to your competitors, you guys had that going uh, right in the beginning, that it was so simple that it was so smart. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's one of those, you know, pieces where when you're looking at naming the company and it's that like very, very minor, minor decision and you just say, which dot com is available? Right. <laughs> you're like, this dot com is available. We like it. You survey a couple of friends, they like it, and just go with it. Well, it's interesting how some people have really detailed origination stories of their names and have so much meaning. And then some, like you're saying yourself, it it's kind of not an afterthought, but it came together very quickly. And in this case, I think that it came together very quickly, but it came together and it made a lot of sense. So it, it was simple. And I think sometimes that that is the, the brilliance of a real simple name also in that it doesn't need to be complicated and have deep meaning. It just says what it is. I think it, it all comes down to the product itself and, and mm-hmm. sort of does the product speak for itself and, and uh, that should sort of ideally carry the name as well. So, yeah. Right. And then mm-hmm. when you guys started to grow, so how did you choose which cities and then eventually to go into the United States? Choosing cities for us uh, was a process. We had a, a pretty... A comprehensive playbook of how we launched new cities, how we grew them, and and sort of even before that, how we actually selected the cities we went into. A big part of the first few were really proximity to where we were at and how we could uh, quickly drive. Could we drive to that city or not? Because we had a sales team that would drive from city to city to city. Eventually, we got rid of the in person and we did sort of everything. Uh, remotely uh, over the phone. But a big part for us was looking at the markets, uh, looking at the restaurant selection, looking at whether there was someone else there or not, and and how quickly we could um, you know launch that that city. Eventually we knew that we wanted to go all across Canada. And uh, so, so it was sort of always in our roadmap. And then we had some opportunities to go into the US. So we did 
foray into the US. Uh, we ended up launching six markets in the US, but we focused again, similar strategy on the Midwest. So we went to Omaha, Nebraska. We went to St. Louis, Missouri. We went to Buffalo, New York. Uh, we didn't even touch any of the other like top 20 cities in the US. A lot of people think their growth plan or their scaling up plan should be, um, when it comes to geographical areas, copy, paste, repeat. But often that isn't necessarily the reality in that how we like to think even Canadian cities, Calgary and Edmonton or Calgary and Saskatoon are going to be the same. So talk to me about how much was copy, paste, repeat and how much you actually had to really tweak the business plan for city to city. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's, we had a playbook. I think it was 72 different tasks and activities we had to do to adapt our tech, our process to actually launch a new city. Uh, whether it was different tax rules, all on the more technical side, which is the more right. boring stuff, all the way to, we had to, we learned the nuances of, and the localisms of each city that we we're going into. So we had to know what were the, the, the biggest employers in Edmonton when we were launching Edmonton? Just so we could talk the language of like types of customers we were bringing on. We would ensure that we had the right, not necessarily the right accent, but like if we're going in Toronto, a lot of people talk, is it Calgary or Calgary, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's certain aspects of how we think about launching new cities. And that's the level of detail we went into uh, and precision in order to launch uh, new cities. And I, I, I think that that goes well then really against that copy paste repeat, which I think is fantastic. You, you went purposefully into each area and actually recognized who their locals and who their citizens and who your customers were going to be. And I think that really came through not only in the company, but in the branding and the feel that you guys have and had, and definitely still have compared to your competitors, which I guess proves its point that you're one of the three uh, left in the marketplace. And so then a couple of years later, uh, you guys sold Skip the Dishes. And so what came to that decision in order to sell and move on to the next idea? Yeah. So, I mean, for, for us, when we started Skip, our, our mission and really what we were trying to build was an iconic Canadian brand. That's really what we were going after. And we wanted to reach as many Canadians as we possibly could and leverage our, our tech to go even broader than where we were uh, today. I mean, at the time, what we really wanted to do um, was grow our brand. And we had an opportunity to partner with a, uh, our, I guess, now our parent or Skip's parent company, but a company called Just Eat and be able to essentially scale uh, across Canada even faster than we would have been able to by ourselves. So we were able to partner with them underneath their banner and sort of over the two years, sort of until we left the left skip the dishes, we went from, I think, 300 people in our company to just over 3000 employees. Wow. Uh, we scaled the company from, I think it was a hundred million dollars of revenue to three and a half billion in revenue. So it was a, a, a crazy, crazy journey and, and ride. And, that uh, decision to partner with someone else to accelerate that was sort of a part of our, our plan to uh, build Skip into a top 10 brand here in Canada. Got it. And so did you guys go seeking or did they come to you? Was it always a part of the plan to exit? It, it was, I think it was one of those things where you always speak with the other players in the market 
it's a very, I guess, uh, tightly knit community. So we already knew them, they knew us. And, you know, in, in, in terms of what actually happened, uh, they came to us. Uh, they had come to us multiple different times before. But, uh, but there's a, a, a saying of, you know, companies aren't sold, they're bought. But at the same time, again, it was just, it made sense from a, a partnership standpoint, because even though we were here in Canada and we built Canada to where it was, right. we actually were able to power their uh, eight other countries uh, from Canada. So those 3,000 employees that we grew to, we actually uh, facilitated the delivery tech for the UK, for Spain, Italy, France, and Australia as well. So it was really our, again, part of our, our mission was to build you know, a, a meaningful tech company here in Canada. And that, that really helped accelerate that. That had to be satisfying uh, that it was based in Canada. And they were, you know, because a lot of times when a company buys in mergers and acquisitions, the company disappears, right? Mm-hmm. And so that must have been really satisfying and really nice to see that not only did they hold on to it, they grew it and it became the source of a lot of other countries' technology. Yeah. And that was really the main reason why we we did it. Like, I think that was one of the main, main pieces and conditions of, of why we did it was that it was going to stay here in Canada. It was going to be the epicenter for tech. Um, and that we could scale our brand uh, not only nationwide, but also globally too. Got it. Yeah, that's great. So do you miss it? Of course not. I mean, <laughs> there's always there's aspects of it, but I think every time you 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 close one door, another one opens, and, and that's really what we're working on now. So Right. And so talking about another door opening, so you decided to start Neo Financial. And and so after the, the journey of Skip ended. Uh, what was your goal for starting Neo Financial? Yeah, so I mean, when we sort of wrapped up or decided to depart from from Skip the Dishes, a big part of a realization for for me at least was that in Canada we have a lot of great talent here. We have, uh, but a lot of time we don't have a lot of great opportunities to, I'd say leverage that talent. When I think about all of the apps we use on our phone from a consumer lens, whether it's Instagram, Netflix, Amazon, these are all the American companies right. coming into Canada, opening up subsidiaries, and every Canadian loves using them. Unfortunately, none of those apps, except for Skip the Dishes, are Canadian. When you look at Uber and Instacart and all these other brands, they're actually founded by Canadians, but they just are from the are now living in the US. So we said, well, how do we ensure this doesn't happen? And how do we actually change sort of our future from a technology landscape? And how do we go after a problem that is big and can meaningfully impact millions of Canadians? And one thing, food is obviously one area that can impact a lot of Canadians. I think the second really is financial services. And how do we actually impact the financial lives of all Canadians? And that's sort of the the area we want to, to go after and build a consumer experience around that, given our background. So that was sort of the, the genesis of how we started. And when you look at the space here in Canada, when it comes to banking, you have these big five banks that own 93% market share, which is actually unheard of in anywhere else in the world. And they've been around for hundreds of years. And I think Canada, you actually pay the highest number of fees as a Canadian. It's very similar to our, our cell phone bills and mobility. Yeah, very, true. <laughs> very similar. 
but it's one area where, hey, look, we can the introduction of, of some tech, how do we make it look, how do we make it look and feel like an Airbnb instead? And or, or Netflix or Spotify. So that's really what we're we're building. So it's really around reimagining the banking experience for, for all Canadians. Yeah. So we we started uh, we left Skip back in about two years ago. We I think I took I took my honeymoon and then uh, ended up uh, starting Neo right after that. <laughs> Dealing and taking on something that is completely new, such as Skip that you were inventing, and now going to financial services that has been around, like you say, for a very long time. That has some very big players, has lots of lots of regulation um, in red tape. How do you go and not be frustrated day in and day out to deal in, a, in an industry that has existed for a long time that you're trying to innovate in and shake up without, I guess, constantly hitting your head against that proverbial wall? I think it's it's the, the element or the definition of competition. Everyone said it's very, very competitive. You know, the big five have been competing against each other for a very long time. You sort of see iPads being thrown around and, and promo offers and things like that. So it's very competitive if you are, you know, uh, coming into a fight and you both have knives, right? The same size of knives or whatever it might be. I sort of look at it the same way. When you come in with completely different perspective and you're really rebuilding that entire experience because we don't have any legacy behind us. We don't have any legacy technology or bureaucracy or process. So we can truly look at the consumer and the Canadian and say, well, what's best for the consumer and how do we work backwards from that? that? So even when I think about just the digital experience for, for banking and the, your ability to open an account in two or three minutes, that's something that can look and feel like a like you're opening up a Netflix account. We can do that for banking. The question is, why haven't the big banks been able to do that at all? And so for us, it's really around, well, how do we just play on a completely different playing field versus playing in the same box that the banks have always been operating in? What kind of, what lessons are you did you take from and learnings did you take from Skip the Dishes into Neo Financial? to help its successful launch and, and how you're innovating in the space? Yeah, I think there's, there's a ton of, I'd say, mistakes we already made at, at Skip that we can take over or I mean, bring over to, to Neo and I could probably list a, a thousand or a million of them. <laughs> I think the, the biggest thing really when it comes down to um, building consumer brands is you know, ensuring that you can build that trust with consumers. I think when you're when you have a consumer product, you need a product that works and delivers on the promise that you, that you have. I think with banking, uh, with food delivery, it's sort of at one level. With banking, it's sort of at a whole new level um, relative to we're handling people's money, so we need to make sure that we are safe, secure, and the like. Which is why we've partnered with we partnered with banks to provide that safety and security uh, that your money is insured and that you can still have that same. Safety and security, like with the technology layer on top of it, that looks and feels like a tech company and, and just is much more uh, convenient. Uh, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur who's got an idea to fill um, a gap in the marketplace, any marketplace, to start today? You know, I think the, the, the best advice I can give is to just get started. Now is the time. I think there are so many reasons and excuses not to get started. And a lot of time, it's just a matter of get started with something. 
uh, and just to get the momentum going. I think momentum is always the hardest part mm. in, in general, because there's always going to be a million excuses. And I think uh, the way that I've always thought about it is what's the, what's the downside? What's the downside of, of starting something? What's the downside of trying something new or leaving your current job? If, if it is, I mean, not, I'm not saying everyone should leave the job because sometimes you need to like suss out and see if it works. But the good thing is so long as you can, you can work and you're smart, you can probably get an, another job as well. And that's sort of, and, and again, this is my thought process of how, you know, I thought about leaving my uh, consulting job to, mm-hmm. to jump into entrepreneurship. I said, well, hey, if it doesn't work out in two or three, four years, whatever time it was, um, I can always go back and find another job anywhere else. And you're investing in a lot of entrepreneurs these days also. So what are you looking for when you're investing in entrepreneurs and in, in businesses these days? I think um, a lot of time people say it's like you need to find the right idea. You need to find the right market. I find it's actually more about the entrepreneur that and that and what they've gone through and why they're the ones to really win that market that they're going after. Because sometimes I don't really know what, I don't know anything about a certain right. idea or a certain space. And I shouldn't know anything about that space. But does that entrepreneur know and, and what gives them the edge to win in that space? Sometimes it's just uh, a lot of grit and, and a lot of, they're just, they know how to hustle. <laughs> right. uh, sometimes it's very deep technical expertise. But at the end of the day, they need to be passionate about what they're doing and ambitious and be on the uh, on the edge of, I'd say, crazy. Not crazy, but just like, you really need to push the boundary because if, if people think that, oh, it'd be within this box, you have really have to push the edges on the box. Thank you, Andrew, for coming on the show today and talking about your journey. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, please follow the show wherever you're listening from and please review us on Apple Podcasts. I would appreciate it. I'm Manjeet Minhas and we'll see you next time. Cheers.